My, student, my students often tell me that their favorite part of class was when I chatted with them in what they called Linda's life lessons. I would take five or 10 minutes at some point in class, not every day, and chat about things that had come up, maybe in one-on-one -on -one meetings with students in my office or a question asked in class. There's pretty much nothing out of bounds. We talk about it. In these podcasts, I share tips for students and parents, helpful guidance through the college years, and a few stories along the way. We chat about situations students have found themselves in and how we navigated it. Along the way, we talk about some do's and don'ts for parents, too. Okay, let's get started. Welcome to Linda's Life Lessons podcast. In this episode, we chat about professionalism and unprofessionalism. And of course, I've got stories for you. In any business class you take, there will always be an element of professionalism woven through the curriculum. We include content to learn about business etiquette, ethics, teamwork, and meetings, how to develop professionalism and business etiquette skills. And yes, we attempt to teach it. But in truth, much of this is simply absorbed once you start working in a new place. Each company has its own culture, its own etiquette, its own ethics. You will watch and you will learn how your new company and your new coworkers operate and conduct themselves. If you're lucky, your new company will assign you a mentor. Some do, some don't. If there's a company handbook, read it. Follow the lead of the C-suite people. If you have dreams of advancing in the company, remember the old adage, dress and behave for the job you want to have, not the job you actually have right now. So in school, we talk about and work on teaching civility. We work on polish in business. Polish is your appearance, character, focus, and keeping your digital footprint clean. We work on your business skills and dining etiquette, your social intelligence, and your soft skills. Having an awareness of courtesy and etiquette can give you a competitive edge in the job market. Yes, etiquette, civility, and polish may seem out of place in today's fast-paced work environment, but when two candidates have equal qualifications, the one who appears to be more polished and professional is more likely to get the job or to be promoted. The professional environment is digitally networked, meaning you must manage and guard, protect your reputation online and at the office. Your success in your career is often determined by how you present yourself in the virtual world, how well you communicate and protect your brand. Okay, so we want to do those things. That's rather a given, don't you think? Let's do a quick overview of the six dimensions of professional behavior in no particular order. Number one, courtesy and respect. Number two, appearance and appeal. Number three, tolerance and tact. Number four, honesty and ethics. Number five, reliability and diligence. And number six, collegiality and sharing. If we talk about courtesy and respect, we're talking about things like being on time or promptness, graciously giving and receiving, meaning accepting criticism, taking responsibility and apologizing for errors, being sincere. Appearance and appeal are things like good dining etiquette, don't chew with your mouth open or talk with your mouth full, good hygiene and grooming, and attractive and appropriate business attire. Be careful with this one. 
trends change. Start out with a more conservative approach and branch out as you get a feel for the culture at the company. Tolerance and tact are things like your ability to compromise, if you treat other people fairly, if you display self-control. Honesty and ethics refer to being truthful, respectful of others, being a fair competitor, and having empathy for other people. Reliability and diligence are shown in your dependability, how you honor commitments and keep promises, and if you're consistent on the job. And the last category, collegiality and sharing, are displayed in how helpful you are, if you show up prepared and ready to work, and if you deliver high-quality work. So these are some of the basic tenets of professionalism on the job. You will want to be sure your written and oral skills are professional. Edit your work. Be super careful about your choice of language on the job. Be careful about using the F-bomb and other curse words. Note, I didn't say never curse or use the F-bomb. A well-placed curse word can be and is appropriate at times. But guard your tongue so those juicy words are sparingly used. These things are just sort of assumed in that much of this you probably know and do, and you'll continue to develop and refine these skills. So let's shift gears and talk about some of the unprofessional behavior that you might encounter. These are things I wish someone had talked to me about, warned me about, so I could have been better prepared for the situation. That's what I'm trying to do here with you in today's podcast. When I was in my early 20s, I accepted a position working for a startup company. I left a job I enjoyed because the idea of helping to build a company was very appealing to me. I have an entrepreneurial spirit. I thought this job was really going to be cool. And initially, it was. Truth be told, it was also a bit boring because in those early stages, it was the owner and me working together. I was the support staff. Much of the time, he was out working on sales and getting things set up. I worked alone much of the time behind the scenes. He was in and out of the office. It was just the two of us. One afternoon, I was seated at my desk while we were talking about the latest business development. My boss walked up behind me. He had done this many times, so I didn't even give it a thought. This time was different. This time, while he was talking, he slid his hand down the back of my pants. I wish I could tell you I reacted, that I gave him a sharp elbow in his family jewels. That's what the person I am today would do. That day, I froze. Flat out froze in my seat. All I could think was, please, please, please get your hand out of my pants. I froze. Didn't respond. Thankfully, my non-response sort of worked because he did take his hand out of my pants. Looking back, I know I was lucky. He never did anything like that again. We never talked about it. Nothing was said. I left that job as soon as I could. 22-year-old Linda wasn't equipped to handle this because I had never even thought about something like that happening. It just never occurred to me that my boss would behave that way. Very unprofessional behavior on his part, don't you think? Fast forward a few years. Well, a lot of years. I was teaching at the university. One of my colleagues, a tenure-track professor, started just being creepy around me. Like close, close talking, where he invaded my personal space anytime he was talking to me. As he was talking to me, I would keep backing up until eventually my back would be against the wall. 
He never touched me, just got into my personal space. And he would say very strange, just barely not inappropriate things that were always disguised as a compliment. I thought it was just in my head at first. Then he started asking me to help him improve his relationships with his students to coach him because, as he put it, I was so good with the students. He referred to private conversations I had with students, which he overheard because he hovered in the hallway, eavesdropping outside my office. When I met his wife, she said to me, Oh, my Samuel, not his real name, he is right. I must watch you and learn from how you dress and how you act. How creepy was that? He was just, ugh. You don't want to know how many times I complained and flat out bitched about this guy to my husband. My darling husband listened and frequently reminded me exactly the same thing I say to my friends and students and the people whom I coach and mentor. I can listen to you, but you are the only one who can do something about this situation. This went on for longer than I cared to admit. The guy being icky, me complaining to my husband, but not doing anything more than that. I did my best to distance myself from him, to avoid seeing him. Once I started doing that, he emailed me, asking me why I was avoiding him, that he thought we were friends. He was just creepy, and it went on for a couple of years. I'm really embarrassed to admit. One semester, the classroom he taught in was right next to mine. One afternoon, as I was headed to teach, I caught sight of him talking to a female student. Her back was against the wall. He was in her personal space the same way he did with me. The sight of him behaving that way with a student lit a fuse in me. I was furious. The apprehensive look on her face echoed how I had felt so many times. Realizing that it was more than just me was a game changer. I quietly asked around and learned that Samuel behaved this way with many female employees. I didn't, inqu I didn't inquire among the students. Seeing one being treated this way was more than enough. I went forward to my bosses. The dean's office brought in our human resources department. A group of about half a dozen female employees were in the meeting with HR and the dean's office. As I demonstrated Samuel's behavior to the HR people, the women were all nodding, yes, this is what Samuel does, and the HR people were creeped out and appalled. When I was asked what I wanted, I responded that I wanted Samuel to be told to stay away from me and to stop being so creepy with us. Everyone was in agreement. At this point, Samuel is no longer teaching at the university where I'm teaching. His contract had been non-renewed before we all came forward about what was going on. When this was presented to Samuel, he became very angry and he was very confused that people would object to his behavior. He repeatedly stated that he was only being friendly and he didn't believe he had any need to change what he was doing. I will say that after HR told him he needed to stay away, he didn't seek out my company other than sending me one last email. My last story for today is about a professor who is a bully. Let's call him Norman. Norman is a huge bully. At one point, he was the department chair of the department I was teaching in. No one had an inkling of Norman's bullying tendencies until he was put into a position of power as department chair. He started bullying me first and soon began to bully a few other folks, all people who were under him in terms of power. It was bad enough that, unbeknownst to me, 
half a dozen of my colleagues went to the dean's office and to HR to complain on behalf of those of us being bullied. By the time I had finally had enough of the yelling, screaming, and other bullying behavior Norman directed to me and the others, the deans and the HR folks already knew about it. To be fair, they tried to address the situation. The problem is, our university doesn't have a policy on bullying, and most of what went on isn't what they called actionable, meaning we basically can't do anything about it. This person is still at my university, although he is no longer in the same position of power, but he does continue to bully the junior faculty. I'm teaching in a different department, so I'm no longer the same sort of target. Norman has driven away two excellent instructors, and at the time of this recording, two more are actively interviewing so they can leave what they describe as the toxic environment. Honestly, I much prefer feeling good and being happy, so I generally avoid being anywhere in the proximity of Norman. The sad reality is that his unprofessional behavior has created a work atmosphere that is intolerable. But again, they tell us his behavior is unactionable. Okay, three stories today. None of them fun to have been a character in. When things like this happen to me, I always ask myself, what's the lesson I can learn here? So let's talk about this from that perspective. The hands-down-my-pants guy? I do believe people are generally more aware that this stuff goes on than they were when I was, you know, when it was happening to me. In some cases, it gets reported. Too many times the behavior goes unreported, particularly if there are no witnesses. I'll say that without making a conscious decision, I changed how I dress at work. These days, I wear a dress nearly every day. When I think about it, I get it. I never made an overt decision, but think about it. It's much harder for someone to shove their hand on the back of a dress. In truth, I find dresses more comfortable, but I'm pretty sure my subconscious mind steered me toward garments in which I would feel safer. The point of including this story in this podcast episode is to get you to think about how you might handle this sort of thing. And then just plain hope you never have to respond to that kind of a situation. Let's change the scenario a bit. Suppose you were walking by an office and you witnessed the hand on the pants thing. What then? Do you pretend you didn't notice and just walk away? Do you figure it must have been consensual and say nothing? Or do you stop? Make eye contact with the power person, the person with their hands in the wrong place, and let them know that you saw what they were doing. I'm a big believer in the benefit of turning the light on to the bad behavior. You can do a lot with just a hard stare into someone's eyes. You might even ask them what in the world they think they're doing. Only you can decide how you might behave. My job here is to just get you to think about it. How about the creepy close talker? Why am I talking about that one? Well, obviously, the behavior is unprofessional, even if Samuel believed that there was or is nothing wrong with it. Something is wrong when what you're doing to people is creeping them out. The question I ask myself here is why it took me so long to go forward. Samuel behaved this way to me for a couple of years, and I complained about it for the entire time. It only became actionable for me when I realized he was doing this to female students. My big protective side came into play. This was not okay. I went on full-blown offense to get the behavior to stop. The question is, why wasn't I willing to do that for myself? 
Why did I need there to be more people involved before I turned the light on to the bad behavior? Those questions are part of my continual evolvement as a person, always seeking to be and do better for myself and for other people. How about the big bully? When I say it was bad, I mean it was bad. I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't eating. It was getting hard to function and go teach my classes. I did try to get support from the administration. While they felt for me, I was repeatedly told there was nothing they could do. I'm lucky. I switched to teaching for a different department. One of my friends who is still teaching in that department has been so affected by Norman's bullying that she isn't sleeping. She has trouble eating. She actually became physically ill to the degree that her doctor had her stop working for about five weeks, medical leave. This is not okay. She's working with health professionals to try to stay well, but it's a struggle because this person keeps bullying her. Yet we're consistently told there's nothing that can be done. I say baloney. B.S. There are other people in power in that department. They could call Norman out on his bad behavior and shut him down, but they don't. Some claim ignorance. Others are complicit. They kind of bully also. Others just seem to turn a blind eye. I challenge you, my dear listeners, to be better than this. When you see something, say something. Again, let the person know that you see what they are doing and that it is not okay. Your voice does matter, especially when you're using it to help another person. The bottom line here is that, in the end, things may or may not change when you use your voice. But we can be sure that nothing will change if, after noticing something, you don't say or do anything about it. In that case, the problems will continue indefinitely. Maybe you aren't personally affected, but someday maybe it will be you or a person who is important to you. So today, take a moment and think about, come up with a plan for how you might handle something like this if it happens in your life, and then pray that you never need to implement your plan. I hope you have found meaning in this chat about professional and unprofessional behavior. May I ask a favor? If you found value in this episode, please share it with your friends and subscribe to the Linda's Life Lessons podcast. Take a moment to write a review. Connect with me on Facebook and Instagram. And be sure to find your happy, love what you do, and make a difference. When I'm teaching, I end the week of classes with this message that I will now leave with you, my friend. Have a lovely, fantastic, and fun weekend, and please come back to me safely. See you next time.